0: Well, we're going to spend time in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2 today as we're working through our our character study on the life of Hannah. And we are going to get to Samuel, I promise. I told you I would. And uh, we will do that this month. Um, But I especially wanted to focus on Hannah and the caption that goes with it is living godly in an ungodly world. And I think we have much we can learn from her about how to live godly in an ungodly world. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we are in an ungodly world. And uh, the call to live godly is not always easy, is it? And so we're going to glean from her actions, especially focus on her uh, her reactions and her responses to the Lord. And so far, we have two observable things. Number one, she prayed. And I'm not ever going to minimize that and make that sound like it's simple and it's easy. Some think that prayer comes when everything else fails. And that's not the way it ought to be. She didn't pray to a view that God was her last choice. He was her God. And she didn't respond uh, as so many others do by retaliating with her troubles that came upon her. And she could have, but she didn't complain. She didn't sue. She didn't protest. She prayed. And that's a very important principle for us. Uh, Never think that dependence upon the God who is able is a small thing. And that's what I like to see when I, I walk through this. Really, the application is very easy in this light because prayer will show your dependence upon God. If you're not praying, then you think you can do it yourself. And that's just a a mirror to look into and ask yourself, am I really depending upon God? I, I pray that this wicked world sees God's people praying. I hope they get the view that we trust our God. And we go to him, because dependence is what we need, and we need to show that. She did. Dedication. Dedication is the second observable thing we have noticed. When she prayed her prayer in chapter number one, which we dealt with a few weeks ago, she dedicated her son. The son wasn't even born yet. That's a pretty big step of faith to say, and when you give me a son, I will give it to you. But that's what she counted on. And she had already dedicated Samuel to a lifetime of service to God before Samuel was even born. We think about that and we say, okay, well, she dedicated Samuel's life, but, you know, it was more than that. She gave her son to the Lord. That's a dedication, that she vowed she would give her son to the Lord. She had to walk away at the end of a day and leave her son there at the tabernacle with Eli and with his worthless sons. But she did not dedicate Samuel to Eli. She dedicated Samuel to God. And she kept her promise. But there's a lesson in all this too. And the lesson is not, parents bring your children to let the pastor train them up. Right? Don't drop them off at my doorpost. That's not the lesson. The lesson in this dedication is, she was dedicated first. She didn't just go around dedicating children. She was dedicated to that vow she had made. And there's a, a personal dedication here that I think is very commendable. Because it starts in your own heart. That's what Hannah did. If nobody else on earth was going to pray to God, would you? If nobody else on this earth would be dedicated to serving God, would you? If nobody else planned to be godly in an ungodly world, will you? I've heard these words for many, many years being a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. It was D.L. Moody who was driven by a statement that he heard one day in a sermon. He was a younger man at the time. And the statement was, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody says, I'll be the man. I'll be the man. And that same response is called for day after day after day. Who's going to be that person who's fully consecrated to God? Who's dedicated to him? The simple question is, what drives you? What is it that that makes you see the need of our day and age and gives you the determination to be different? Do you have that even as a desire? I want to be different in this world. In an ungodly world, guess how you have to be different? You have to be godly. Do you have a drive for that? Do you have a desire for that? Are you dedicated to it? And have you prayed about it? I, I bring that before you because some say, well, it takes a special talent to be able to do that, Pastor, or, or a certain education to do that, or, or a position that God puts you in so that you could serve Him. And I think it comes down to a simple word called dedication. If you hand over what you have to the God who is able, don't be surprised that He could do something with it. He can. A.C. Dixon said this years ago. When we depend on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend on education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend on prayer, we get what God can do. Do you know that? Do you know that? I started with the application. Do you feel that? I went backwards, didn't I? said, okay, i got to get that off my heart. Because Hannah brings a lot to our attention as we're studying through this passage, and we're going to see some more. I told you verse 1 and 2. You're there by now, right? Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is none besides thee. Nor is there any rock like our God. I want to bring you up to date, or catch you up on the story, so to speak, of what brought about this prayer. Because this prayer is ten verses long. Back in chapter 1, verse 20, about where we left off before, it says, In due time... After Hannah had conceived, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now there's a lot of things in all that I'm not going to go into because it's all rabbit trails. But uh, there's some interesting reaction and conversation in there that would need another three sermons maybe. But verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, Estimate about three years. All right, that's what most commentaries say. He's a three-year-old. She took him up with her. With a three-year-old bull and one ephah, which is about a bushel of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Now, they slaughtered the bull it says, and brought the boy to Eli. You would go through this and you would think, alright, this is a pretty pricey offering she brought. That's not cheap, is it? You guys who keep cattle and stuff. She brought the bull. And they sacrificed the bull. She brought that offering to the Lord. But even greater than that, she brought her son. She brought her son. And what does it say? He brought the boy to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord. She's talking to Eli. As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Remember? That was three years ago. Now, two things pop into my mind. Number one is, well, maybe a lot of people have been praying in there. And Eli's like, I don't place the face. I don't remember this one. Or, Very few people came in there and Eli says, Oh yeah, I know you. Nobody else did that. I don't know which way to go. But it's interesting. She brought it up. Remember me? I was the one praying. And I prayed for this boy. And the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. This is a fascinating thing. Like I said, there's so much here to unpack. And I I wish we had tons and tons of time to work through this. I'm not going to do that. But in this, she stands before a guy, a high priest, who probably hasn't seen answers to prayer in a long time. Just by the nature of his character and his sons, and such that we, we could scan through history and say, hey, he wasn't the top notch of high priest, was he? But here is somebody who said, I prayed and the Lord answered my prayer. And how refreshing that must have looked in that setting that somebody is there who the Lord has answered their request. But also further, that she came to follow through with her vow. I dedicated him to the Lord, and I'm here today because... I dedicated him to the Lord, and I'm leaving him. Wow. Look at her prayers now. I I break it down into two parts. This week we're going to see verse 1 and 2. We just talked about that. The primary declaration of verse 1 and 2 is the character of God. That's her focus. And then when you move from verse 3 on, and I'll tell you the outline for next week, it's the actions of God. But she starts with his character, and then she moves to his actions. And what I find as I studied through this and thought through that, what an incredibly theological prayer this was. And you say, well, of course, it's in the Scripture. And Hannah, I mean, she's in planograph and everything, so it must be a good prayer, right? Well, I'm going to bring up something to you as we work through this that I find absolutely amazing. And it is the simple fact that she prayed this prayer in this context where she lived. I've already told you, a godly person living in an ungodly day. We know that the spiritual leadership of Eli was very, very poor. It fell far short of what was called godly. And then you take his sons out and talk about them and you don't have anything good to say, do you? The sons were as evil as can be. And we find her husband, Elkanah, he's a Levite, and what's the role of a Levite? But to lead people in their knowledge of the Lord and assist them in their worship of the Lord, and here he's got two wives, and he's letting one, and I say that carefully, but he didn't ever rebuke his other ones that we have in Scripture. He let one lo- wife persecute, torment the other wife because she didn't have any children. I don't think that he shows some spiritual strength here. That's all I'm trying to say. I don't see him doing this. Matter of fact, gathering from the book of Judges, which is the time history time of this chapter... The Levites were not being any kind of an example. As you get to the end of the book of Judges, you see the word Levite, and you go, ugh. Because they made a mess of a lot of things toward the end of that book. And those were the people of Hannah's day. That was the spiritual leadership. All that's to say that this lady prayed an intensely deep and theological prayer. And you would say, where did she get that from? She must have gone to Bible college, right? No? No? She had a solid church. She went to a solid Bible church. Nope, didn't exist. You you know that. You know this is Old Testament times. But this prayer marked a deeply ingrained faith. Faith is not just saying the right things. We, We sometimes say it that way. Faith is knowing God rightly and trusting Him. That's what faith looks like. It's knowing Him and trusting Him. And the why and the how of Hannah's trust is simply seen in the words that she said here. On top of that, the actions of bringing her child and following through with the promise. Let's keep this prayer in its context. She is at the tabernacle. She is delivering Samuel, possibly three, three and a half years old, to the Lord as she promised. All right, mothers. How are you feeling right now about this one? Could you walk away from your three-year-old boy? Think about that for a while. But I, I came to a conclusion. She must have thought that her God was big enough to raise this child even in this setting. Simple secret to prayer. You ready? It's a secret, so I whisper it. You trust God to the degree that you know Him. You trust God to the degree that you know Him. I think this lady had incredible faith because she knew who she trusted. She can leave that child there and walk away. I don't think it was easy. I'm sure there were tears. <laughs> I'm sure that was a pretty long walk home. And you may say, but Pastor, it might have only been 20 miles away. Oh, yeah, I know. But she didn't have a Ford Bronco or a, you a know, Hyundai or something to drive and see him. She went with her husband and good faithful Levite went there how many times a year? Once. All right, that's another question, but we'll leave that for now. When I go through this prayer and understand it and organize it and try to notice how Hannah is talking to the Lord, it kind of fits the fashion of Psalm 100, by the way. And that simple verse in verse number 4, where you enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And you come into his courts with what? Praise. She does that. She gives thanks to God. She blesses His name. That's the first thing out of the, out of the, out of her mouth as she starts to pray. First thing. Praise is the foundation for this prayer. Let me ask you something. Side note for a minute. When you construct your prayers, and you do, don't you? Do you think through your prayers before you pray them? Just asking. But if you do, do you begin with praise? Do you start with praise? Some people try to say, well, I've learned how to pray according to the letters Acts, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which is as your request. But they say, adoration is first. That's the picture here too. Praise is first. Praise is the first thing. And I, I just can't help but think, How beautiful it must have sounded to the Lord that day when she opened her mouth and started to pray. He's been looking down at that sanctuary for so long. And all he's seen coming out of that sanctuary has been corruption and profanity. It even says that Eli's son profaned the tabernacle. With their sins. That's what he saw. God saw men doing what was right in their own eyes. Eli doing nothing about it. Eli's son doing nothing right. And that's who's running this place. Day after day, the sin and the stench of sin must have risen from that place. And God says, that's my place. But they had taken it and just made it a horrible, polluted place. And then Hannah begins to pray. And how how beautiful that must have risen before the Lord and put a smile on his face. What a refreshing thing to hear. What a beautiful thing to see. You know, sometimes it only takes one person to act by faith to make a difference. We have one person here. One person praying. It's Hannah. And Hannah goes before the Lord. And notice how she employs the only things she has to worship Him. She didn't need a band. She didn't need a choir. She didn't need others to worship for her. She used her heart. Look at verse 1. Look at the things she used. She used her heart. She used her strength. You say, she brought her horn. <laughs> yeah, that's a picture that most commentators, even some Bible translations, has the word strength there instead of horn. She says, I, I, I exalt, my, my horn is exalted. That's a picture of her strength. And she used her mouth. Her heart, her strength, and her mouth. Sometimes you say, well, that's not very much to bring to the Lord to worship. He didn't ask you for a whole lot. He just asked you for you. Your heart. Your mouth. You have one, don't you? Yeah? You have strength? Even if it's a little bit. Can the Lord do stuff with that? We believe He's able. She brought all that she had. That was it. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. You say, oh, well... That's kind of a bold statement to make. What was the likelihood that Penean and Elkanah were present at the moment? That would have been a long walk home for some people. She says, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Who's the only one who's been tormenting her? Mm -hmm. It just might have been a a moment of, of, you know, uh, rough waters here a little bit. She felt like her rival was an enemy. But I like the last phrase. The reality is, but it's the Lord who delivered me. I rejoice in your salvation. She wasn't counting on Eli or uh, Penina or even uh, Eltena to save her from her troubles. She trusted the Lord. She trusted the Lord. Notice how she keeps referring to Jehovah. L-O-R-D. L-O-R-D. You notice maybe your translations has those in all capital letters. You ever noticed that before and said, what's that all about? It, it wasn't because they had a, a sale on big letters that week. That was, a, that was a, a translator's tool. When they were putting together the English translation, there are times when Lord is just the word master or servant or something like that. Like Hannah calls Eli her Lord. And that was because he's got a position higher than her. But if you wanted to put the Hebrew word Jehovah down in English in Lord, and you wanted them to know it was the Hebrew word Jehovah, they put it in all capital letters. And so your translation, my translation does that. Maybe yours does that too. But that's who she was talking to here. She was talking to Jehovah, the great I am That's who she was talking to, the one who proved to be sufficient for all his people's needs. That's who she was talking to. I think it's probably been a while since those words risen out of this tabernacle with a heart that meant it. She was acknowledging Jehovah as her Lord, as her Lord. He's the only one. You notice the flavor of this. You're the only one. You're the one who saved me out of my trouble. No one is holy like you are, Lord. No one is beside you. No one is like a rock like our God. No one else but the Lord. You know, even in our day today, they had problems with many gods. That was a problem of, of Israel's disobedience. That's what led to a book like 1 Samuel, is that Joshua led them into the promised land. And the rule was that each tribe was to go into their territory allotted to them and clean out all the Canaanite and all the false worship and all that and make it a great place for them to raise their families and to be dedicated to the Lord. And the story goes, at the end of Joshua and the beginning of Judges, They failed, and they failed, and they failed, and they failed, and they compromised, and compromised, and compromised. And 300 years later, it was a mess. There were Canaanite gods being worshipped all over the land. Idolatry was thick in Hannah's day. Many, many gods that they went to. The god of this country, the god of that country, the god of agriculture, the god of the stars, the god of this and that. They worshipped a lot of different gods. Hannah made a declaration that should have come from the religious leaders of that day. But it didn't. Jehovah is the only one. He's the only one. That's still true today. Still true today. We say that there is one true God. We believe that, don't we? And yet, what does our world embrace? God's all over the place. The gods of the Muslims, the gods of the Hindus, the gods of the marketplace, the gods of money, the gods of fame. They worship all kinds of gods of astrology. And yet we stand up and say there's one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and guess who it is? It's Jesus Christ. And we make that declaration today because our world says, religions ought to coexist. What they really mean is all religions but ours. All right? And you can choose any path you want to go to God. They say that. I love Hannah's boldness. Though so you're the only one. You're the only one. Now, she didn't have to use her own wisdom to figure out how to solve her dilemma. She didn't go to try some way of, uh, of somebody else helping her before she ever went to the Lord. She prayed to the only God who could rescue her. The only one. He was holy. He was the one. He was the only. He was her rock. And you say, okay, pastor, I get it. These words are very rich in their expression of God's character, aren't they? But let's think about them for a minute. Where did Hannah pick this up? Where did she learn these things, these, these prayers? I mean, obviously, she must have read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Guess what? That was written three generations after her. Okay, well, what about this horn thing? Obviously, it must have been prominent in that day. People talk about horns, don't they? Well, I started researching the word horn. So how many times was that used before Hannah was on this planet? Once, really? It was used by a guy named Job. And you know how Job used it? I'll read you the passage. Job 16. Starts in verse 13, goes through 15. You're, you're going to love this. His arrows surrounded me. Without mercy, he split my kidneys open. He poured out my gall on the ground. He breaks me through with the breach after breach. He runs at me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and thrust my horn in the dust. Sound like a good day to you? He's talking about how God has dealt with him. And he said, He's just destroyed me. And he says, My strength, my horn, I just shoved it into the ground because, well, it was done. It was gone. No point in that. Now, Job might have said that about a thousand years before Hannah was even on the scene. But she didn't use the word like he did. She wasn't thrusting her horn into the ground. She was exalting it. The name of her God. You say, okay, well, so, okay, horn may not be something she learned easily from other people around her. But what about rock? Isn't that a prominent word in Scripture? We see the word rock all over. Maybe she heard that somewhere. The most dramatic scene was in 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you saved me from violence. Who is God besides the Lord? Who is a rock besides our God? You say, well, that sounds just like Hannah's prayer. But it was written a hundred years later. Maybe Hannah's prayer prompted this one. David wrote that. Many years later. Matter of fact, you're only going to find one other place where the Lord's compared to as a rock. And that's in the book of Deuteronomy, of all places. Where Moses writes in Deuteronomy 32, and all the way through that book, but I'll just give you three verses. Verse 4, verse 15, verse 18. The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. But Jehoram, that's his... God's nickname for Israel, which is supposed to mean upright. Now, when you say it this way, it's kind of almost like a sarcastic way of saying it. You know these upright people of mine? What are they? They forsook God who made them. They grew fat and they kicked you grew fat, you're thick, you're sleek, you forsook your God who made you. You scorned the rock of his, of his salvation. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. Is that a good example for Hannah to learn from? All of that was kind of negative, wasn't it? How her ancestors turned their direction away from him. But here's Hannah living in a society that all they do is leave the example of ungodliness, 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 and her prayer is right on target. God's character. And I don't think she learned it from the newspaper around her, or the priests that were ministering, or from the environment she was learning from. This lady knew God. That's where you learn this character. Because there's no other prayer recorded like this, prior to this particular prayer. Nobody else is praying like this. There's a generation that shows no faith. No faith in that generation. Except what Hannah says. It's interesting that even in Jesus' day, a thousand years later, Jesus asked a simple question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's looking around at his own people and saying, that's not there. It's not there. It's not there. I just wonder if those words would ring true today. If the Lord looked down upon our world, our society, our generation, would he ask those same questions? Is there faith? Is there any faith anywhere? Who's going to live in an ungodly place and show Jesus? Who's going to live in an ungodly place and stand out and be different than the rest? Who's going to stand out and pray when nobody else prays and say words like this? When I was in high school, my parents had insisted that we pray before every meal. They did it, and they thought we needed to do it. They expected that of us. And even when we were at school, we were supposed to pray for our lunchtime meal in the cafeteria now I went to a public school there were 600 kids in my class alone it was a big school and that was hard as a teenager you don't want to be noticed and praying in the cafeteria would get you noticed and so we learned how to to pray without getting caught oh you know what that is everyone here knows what that is That's what my daily challenge was, how to pray without getting caught. Then my kids grew up, and I thought, oh, no. How do I teach them to pray before meals? So I made it simple. If you don't pray, that food will poison you. (laughs) Then I said, and then I said, if you open your eyes, you'll go blind. (laughs) Did it work, (laughs) Paul? So do you pray before your meals? You know, I'm going down to the basic, simple things. I'm not asking you to go in front of Congress and pray, although we should do that. Do you pray before your meals? I mean, where are you going to start as to being a praying person? Do we pray at all? Do you pray at a restaurant? Oh, that's different. That's not home. Oh, come on. Do you pray before they deliver your food? Do you pray at work? Oh, don't touch that, Pastor. Do you pray? Maybe it's even harder to pray at home than other places for some people. Do you pray? You know what prayer shows? It shows devotion. It shows devotion. Matthew Henry said it this way. Praise is our rent, our tribute. We are unjust if we do not pay it. So whoa that's pretty strong. Hannah has given to us several little glimpses of her character in this that tells us what she thought of her God. She depended on him, and we learned dependence in her prayers. She was dedicated to him, and we've learned that as we looked at. And now we see her devotion. She prayed. She prayed about her Lord and what He has done. She talks about her devotion to the Lord. Her dedication, her dependence is because she knew Him. She knew who He was. And she was going to pray this way whether anybody else did it or not. She's the only one recorded praying. You don't see Eli jumping in. You don't see Elkanah jumping in. You just see her words. Let me ask this. In a godless society where there's really no knowledge of the Lord, it just looks that way too often to me. When I look around the landscape and I say, well, who really knows the Lord out there? How well do you know the Lord? You know, you might say, but I'm only one person. And so was she. What name do you call him by? I want to ask you that too while you're at it. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and give answers, but I want to ask this. If you were given a half hour right now to construct a prayer similar to Hannah's, which words would you use? How would you describe the God you trust? I'm going to just challenge you in that because I want you to think. Next time you pray, listen to what you're saying. Listen to the words that you are expressing to this one who you say you trust. Are you repeating the same words every single time, every single prayer, just da 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 da, da rattling them off? I was, first church I ever went to, we had the the folks in the church had grown up in that, or been in that church so long, they had the whole service memorized. I mean, every part of the service, it was a ritual of sorts. It was a da 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 And they didn't even know what they were saying anymore. Because it was just words. Repetitious. Ritual words. I just want to challenge you in this. Find out what you say to him. If nothing else, write it down. Write down a prayer. Just work on the praise section today and see how that looks. What does it look like to say, I want to show my devotion to you, Lord, in my worship? I want you to evaluate your speaking about God and to God. What do you know about Him? Honestly, this is a hard test. (laughs) This is not the easy one. Because more times than not, when we say what we do, it's very general. It's really kind of watered down. I'm just being honest. But we, we come at it at such an elementary level. And I don't see that in these first two words or verses, do you? I, I see somebody who knew her Lord. And her heart couldn't help it. And her mouth couldn't help it but to declare praise to his name with these words. And I say, wow, what a prayer we're looking at. Here's what I, I, I got to close, but here's what I, I did. I, I Googled something this week. I do a lot just because it's fun, but uh, I don't believe half of it, but that's the other story. <laughs> according to Google, according to Google, the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. I don't know if you believe that or not. Some more, some less. That's who usually speaks. I oh, know where he's going down there. <laughs> but just thanks for a minute. Say that you do speak sixteen thousand words in a single day. How many of those are in praise to the, your Lord? That's the only question I want to raise with that whole. If you have five words to say, how many of those are going to say praise to the Lord? I'm going to really just leave you with that question. Because we're coming back next week to look at verse 3 through 10 and look at the actions of the Lord, but we have to first walk through his character. Who is he that you're talking to? Are you devoted to him? Dedicated? Dependent? These are the things that has taught us so far, and I think the lesson is really good. We'll come back next week and work on some more. Or the Lord will come and we'll just talk to him up there. Heavenly Father, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful to read your words that you have recorded for us today, to get a glimpse of how great you are, to, to see somebody on this planet use their mouth and their heart and their strength to give you praise for what you have done. It, it just resonates within us. For all of us can stand here today and give an account to something great you've done for us. If it's nothing else, you saved us. You saved us. Surely there's words that we can come up with to give you praise. Surely there's something that we could devote ourselves to, to reflect what our hearts want to say, as well as our mouths. And I pray today, Lord, that uh, when we get this desire to say these things, may we first have a desire to see you to know you, and be able to reflect well what we have learned about you. Help us to be those kind of people that are always learning about their God and enjoying it as we learn. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. Even when we are callous, even when we are feeble in our response, even when we're forgetful, you're still the same God. And you always are. And we praise you, Lord, for that. We look forward to seeing you Someday, that might be soon, but when we stand in glory, oh, our hearts are going to let loose and our mouths are going to open and we're going to praise our God. Until then, Lord, teach us how. In Jesus' name, amen.